Hello and welcome to Quinescast, Scotland's feminist arts podcast. My name is Hannah Lavery. And I am Caitlin Skinner. Welcome to the third episode in this, our second series of Quinescast. Today's theme is pleasure. On each episode, we invite some of Scotland's leading feminist writers, poets, playwrights and musicians to respond to our theme. Today, we'll be hearing from musician Horace MacDonald, sex educator Ruth Elliott, poet Liz Lockhead, and you will also hear a short play by Steph Smith. Quine's cast is brought to you by feminist theatre company Stella Quine's in association with the Travis Theatre. And the word Quine's, if you don't know already, is a Scottish word for women. Welcome everyone, settle in, make yourselves comfortable, maybe this is a good time to get a nice beverage, some tasty snacks, because today it is all about the pleasure, guilty pleasure, sexual pleasure, unexpected pleasure. We'll be looking at it all the different ways we relate to that idea and how perhaps because of the patriarchy, our relationship to pleasure isn't always that straightforward. Hannah, lovely to be here with you. Do you think you manage to prioritise pleasure in your life? Um, no, is <laughs> my answer. Um, and actually, I really struggle with the idea of what I find pleasurable and what is pleasure for me. You know, I think that I've been so trained to think about being useful and, and contributing that the idea of doing something just for myself feels very um, complicated and, and shameful, perhaps, Um is such a, an interesting and potentially kind of revolutionary theme that we've chosen. So um, tell us why we did this, Caitlin. Well, yeah, I, I think for us, it, it, it goes back to the first episode of Quine's Cast. If you're a long time listener, in episode one, the brilliant crime writer Denise Miner talked about being, I am all kinds of wrong. Every day I am all kinds of wrong. And I, I think there's that, that sense that under patriarchy, women's pleasure is wrong like the, the, it's not okay for us to enjoy cakes or the things that other things we might enjoy I don't know silly pop music those things are a bit shameful and that our sexual pleasure has been seen as being shameful for so long and that is a really key tool in the arsenal of patriarchy that if you're so busy being ashamed of the things that you like then you're not going to have room to be yourself you're not going to have room to uh, rise up to make the change you want to be. So I think that's why it's a really important topic to discuss and I guess why our relationship to pleasure might be complicated. Absolutely. And, the, and I think there was a lot of giggles and red faces in this one as well. It's very embarrassing. This whole episode is <laughs> deeply, deeply embarrassing. But there's also just something kind of, you know, this idea that I think, you know, as women, we feel like we, we are the service to other people's pleasure. So actually putting ourselves as, you know, as Denise Minas said in that wonderful thing about being the subject of our own story, being the subject of our own pleasure. Um, so I really hope for listeners this feels really, um, you know, an exciting and, and kind of, I suppose, um, encouraging you to find pleasure in your life. So to open our show, we welcome the wonderful Horse McDonald. Um, Horse is an iconic and utterly unique singer-songwriter. She's really one of our best and um, she has released nine albums, including The Same Sky, God's Home Movie, and her most recent album, Home, was released on her own label, Randon Records. You're in for such a treat. 
I've thought a lot about this subject before I came here and I'm actually falling in love, in love with myself a little bit. I've learned that writing songs in my little back bedroom when I was 15, 16 years old became a cathartic experience for me and I poured everything out from in. So when I sing, I'm singing my insides out um, and I get great pleasure and great joy from singing. And fortunately, the byproduct is a lot of people seem to like it as well. <laughs> so it's quite handy. So when I was thinking about what songs to do, I thought, um, what could be better than um, a song that was a single from our first album? And it's called The Speed of the Beat of My Heart. Bracket, take the... This is called Speed of the Beat. Hurt me, hurt me. 
speed of the beat of my heart, my heart, my heart. And that was the wonderful horse, and we will hear more from her at the end of our show. I absolutely loved what she said about falling in love with herself again, and it really feels like that has to be the first step to kind of prioritising pleasure, isn't it? A lifelong goal to fall in love with yourself, I think. Today's reflection piece then comes from Ruth Elliott. Ruth is a trainer and workshop facilitator in sex-positive, pleasure-centred, non-binary, intersectionally feminist and trauma-informed relationships. She is a sex educator and initially had lots to say on this topic and was like, what part of it do I choose? Um, But she's managed to put together this um, reflection, which I think gets us thinking and gives us some themes and ideas to take us forward throughout the rest of the episode. So here is Ruth. I'm a relationships and sex educator. And my background is in the sexual violence sector. And when I was reached out to by the Quines cast and asked to be the expert on pleasure, I thought, well, that's like great, isn't it? And this is really exciting because when feminists talk about sex, very often what we're talking about is less the pleasurable side of things and much more often the violent side of things. And When I used to work in the sexual violence sector and when I teach relationships and sex education, what most people want to be talking about is sexual violence, how to prevent it, how to support survivors, and that is transparently an absolutely crucial thing for us to be doing. But I got very frustrated by the lack of a focus and attention given to sexual pleasure as a crucial part of the puzzle. Central to the work that I do now with young people as well as adults around relationships and sex ed is about maximizing pleasure. And when this conversation comes up, a lot of the time people think what I'm talking about is orgasming. Very often the conversation about sexual pleasure gets reduced down to the experience of having an orgasm, which I'm not knocking necessarily, but I think it's still a reduction doesn't quite capture the expansiveness of pleasurable experiences that we might access to reduce it down to just orgasming. Dr. Laurie Mintz does really interesting work on what's called the orgasm gap, wherein amongst heterosexual couples, there is significant gendered inequality when it comes to experiencing orgasm. That's not the case amongst lesbians, We manage to have an orgasmic practice that is both equitable and also abundant. But when it comes to pleasure and sex, orgasming is not the whole story. And so 
I want to talk today about a way of thinking about and investigating pleasure, sexual pleasure, that people in workshops that I've facilitated have found transformative to their understanding of their own and the people they have sex with and the space in between. And this is centered around a question that very few of us would ever give pause to, to contemplate, because it almost seems too obvious. And that is, why do we have sex? What is the motivation for having sex, either with ourselves or with other people? Very often, people will say, for pleasure. And I don't disbelieve them. But what that actually means feels like a topic worth further investigation because pleasure means many, many, many different things to different people at different times and in different contexts with different partners at different life stages. And so I invite everyone to reflect for a moment on their own motivation. What does pleasure feel like for you today? What is it that you seek when you say, I want to have a good time, I want to experience sexual pleasure, what does that actually mean for you? And when a researcher called A.L. Mosher asked loads of people that question, I don't know whether they articulated it like that, but they asked about people's sexual motivations and found three main themes. And I'm going to talk about them because in my work I've found that when identifying the way, the reasons behind seeking sexual pleasure, it's like the first step in being able to maximize it. So the first theme that people report seeking is ecstasy. And ecstasy is the pleasure that can be experienced when we can mindfully engage with our own nervous systems and our own sensory data and have a delightful time as a result. Our nerves are tingling, our eyes are closed, we're focusing inward at our own experience of what it's like to be inside our skin and it's delicious and it's great and we're having a lovely time. And we use sex as a way to access that kind of trance-like state where we're super mindful and having a very physical, somatically pleasurable time. That's ecstasy. Number two is intimacy. And this is where the pleasure that we seek in sex is centered around the opportunity to connect with the person or the people that we're being sexual with. Here, the pleasure is derived from the space in between the people involved as opposed to inside either person. And it might be that it's an opportunity to express a feeling, to express love or attraction or desire, or to feel the thrill of being desired and someone finding us attractive. And that might involve the eye gazing and the skin to skin touch and that feeling that you can't get close enough to the other person. And some people, when they prioritize intimacy, when they seek intimacy with sex, it's that kind of motivation, that kind of pleasure that they're seeking. And the third main theme that Mosher identified when people were asked why they engage with sex was play. Play where the pleasure is not so much in the trance-like internal orgasmic kind of situation or the connection, the romantic or intense visceral connection with the other person, but it's about being a platform to explore 
and be adventurous and to engage in the possibilities that our erotic imaginations provide. When we play in sex and when we seek the pleasure of being playful, we might be using our sexual time, time, our sexual experiences as an opportunity to express parts of ourselves that we otherwise repress. Perhaps we have parts that are selfish or demanding or needy or compliant or childlike or animalistic and we think this isn't really going to fly at work or this isn't going to be welcome at, you know, around the dinner table. But in a sexual space, that's when those parts can have a center stage. And ecstasy, intimacy and play, these, these three categories, they don't have rigid boundaries between them. And it is most common that all of us have some degree of each in our motivations. But very often when people talk about their experiences of uh, obstacles to their pleasure, when they talk about what's standing in their way when it comes to having as delicious and pleasurable a time as possible, a really common theme is the pleasure that they seek with the person they're being sexual with is not the same as the pleasure that that person is seeking. I, uh, sh in, in the spirit of being open and sharing, um, I, I sometimes disclose that when I was about 19, um, I, was, I made it my business to try and persuade my partner to um, pretend to be a Roman emperor. And, um, <laughs> I thought it would be just swell if uh, they complied and that I could be their loyal subject and they could be the emperor and it would just be really fun. And they were not of this mind and um, they were kind of upset. They said, why would you, why do you want to do that? Like, I just want to, I just want you to want to have sex with me. And I thought, oh, that sounds boring. <laughs> I see you all the time. And... That conversation could have been a lot smoother if, I, if we had had the, the language and the insight to understand what was going on here. Um, and when we think about maximizing pleasure um, and, the, and where that sits in our life, how much energy, how much priority we afford to pleasure seeking, um, one useful place to start is this, is what kind of pleasure are you seeking? What does it feel like to you? when you experience sexual pleasure. That isn't the whole story, but that is a start. Thank you so much for having me. The brilliant Ruth Elliott there. Her piece there just really reminds me of how limited our understanding of sexual pleasure really is and sexuality, and particularly when we look at it from a female perspective, I think. Like, we're just so early in our understanding of what that means to us, what the possibilities are. And she's really searching in that way for a more expansive, nuanced conversation. And I think the way she breaks that down, the way she pulls all of those questions about what kind of sexual pleasure are you seeking that 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 asking those questions might not be the whole story but it's certainly a start uh, that was really cool that got me thinking about loads of things and um, Hannah what really resonated for you 
So much, but I think the idea about maximising pleasure as the central theme of her sex education work with young people felt really profound. Mm. Um, and I was thinking back to my own sex education in the 90s and how for, you know, for lots of reasons, we were preoccupied with not contracting HIV and AIDS. And, and of course, in Edinburgh, that was really important. But actually, it meant we didn't have discussions about pleasure. And I don't even think we talked about that within our friendship groups, unless, of course, it was about being an expert and giving pleasure. So I thought that that her teaching and what she's doing and her goals for her teaching just felt so refreshing and made me feel really optimistic. Yeah, that real focus that you often have in, in traditional sex ed around safety, but also around shame. Like that if you get pregnant, if you get an STD, you'll be taught that's totally shameful. And and what a scary place to start your relationship with your own sexuality. And, and yeah, all those teenage conversations you were having about about really how to get an orgasm like which is the best sex position or like that it just it, yeah it felt really one-dimensional and how exciting to be coming at that from a more uh, nuanced playful point of view yeah the playfulness and the, the the lack of shame was just so wonderful to hear and I think you're right I think we teach our young people that sex is dangerous mm. and it's something to be um, frightened of or something to be, um, yeah, to be fearful of. And so actually to, to imagine being, I was thinking to myself, imagine if I was taught about sex in this sort of joyful, playful exploration and not a reductive um, mm. and, you know, dangerous thing. I think that, yeah, I was just, yeah, I found it so kind of, what an exciting way to begin our episode yeah. really, wasn't it? Really optimistic way to begin our episode. And it's dead exciting and inspiring that Ruth is out there doing that work. It makes me really hopeful and, as you say, optimistic about mm. the future that she's really out there making change alongside other colleagues. So thank you so much for that, Ruth. As always, alongside the wisdom from our main contributors, we bring you fragments of conversations uh, related to our theme from our discussion group. This is our super group of women, our house band, from a range of backgrounds and experiences, including medicine and journalism and activism and social services. And we've recorded their beautiful conversation um, on the theme of pleasure, which you will hear little clips from throughout this episode. Yes, they really get to have their say on this theme. The discussion group are Lisa George, Clementine Burnley, Carrie Lunan, B. Asha, Zandra Yemen, and Nassim Rebecca Assel. Uh, their conversation, which was full of of giggles and bashful red faces at times but was really beautiful was captured by our brilliant editor Helena Rafai. Many things bring me pleasure whether that be pleasure pleasure automatically in my head whenever I just jump to like sex I love sex <laughs> but then I started thinking about it more and I was like there are so many things that I find pleasure in like, in like my daily life even just like waking up and snoozing my alarm it's like the first thing in the morning, where the first time in the day I experience pleasure is like that fall back to sleep. So yeah, many things bring me pleasure. <laughs> There's this bakery near where I live that makes this amazing thing called a cruffin. And it's oh, like sweet. Oh, it's so good. I don't feel guilty ever <laughs> eating it. It's funny the first thing when you think about pleasure it goes to food, because for me it was completely, I thought... Chocolate. <laughs> sharing food as well. Like, mm. I love sharing food so much. If someone wants to share a full meal with me, every single thing that we order. When I think of pleasure, I think of sunshine. <laughs> uh, that's what slows me down more than anything else. As soon as the sun comes out, it's like, 
right, okay, I can't possibly do anything else. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to put my face to the sun like a sunflower. And um, that is what gives me more pleasure than anything else. Being outside, sunshine, listening to the birds singing, ideally with someone that I love. That's what gives me pleasure. Mine's a combination of those things, but it's probably just the joy of not having anything to do or anywhere to go. Like, I feel like I live at, like, 100 miles an hour, so just the thought of just, like, sitting somewhere, if it's outside, or just, just not, know, like, knowing I've got hours ahead of me without having to, like, travel or having to do something or, like, be switched on. It's just, like, a chance to breathe and a chance to relax, and I just find that that peace. <laughs> like, all of those things are, for me, listening to you, they're all experiences somehow of the body, experiencing fully whatever I'm experiencing. Oh, I love that. I love the idea about all these different ways of finding pleasure and the unexpected and the small, like the small kind of everyday pleasures. Plus, I'm really wanting a cruffin. Yeah, and the way Lisa describes that, you just absolutely want one. Yeah, I guess that multiple ways in which we might find pleasure, maybe more unexpected ways that we find pleasure, leads us brilliantly into our play for this week. We have uh, a work from the fantastic Steph Smith. Steph is a brilliant writer. Her work has quite rightly won multiple awards and international acclaim. And the play that she has written for us on the theme of pleasure is called The Journey Woman and it's performed by Julie Wilson-Nimmo and Mary Kapinski. And that'll be followed by another clip from our discussion group. Mum wants to go to that Turkish place for her birthday dinner. She called her cofters erotic. Erotic? I think she meant exotic, but I didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> Kofta's just a meatball, isn't it? Aye, but if you call it a kofta, it sounds exotic. Do you mean erotic? I have personally never found a meatball erotic. <laughs> I can do the 15th if you're free then. The 15th? I think that's, that's a Thursday, isn't it? I, I don't think I can. Ah, uh, it's the Thursday because I've got that Italian class on the Wednesday <laughs> and I can't miss another or Roberto will kill me. <laughs> and her actual birthday is on Monday this year, but... Nowhere decent is open on a Monday. So, how come you can't do the 15th? I'm busy. Busy? I'm busy. Doing what? Things. Things? I'm doing things. I can't do things without you. Aye, of course you can. But you don't. Well, this time I am. Are you having an affair? <sighs> no. Christ, I don't have the energy to have an affair. So what are you doing on the 15th? I'm just busy. Doing what? You never have secrets. Just because I don't tell you doesn't make it a secret. Willful. That's what this... Willful. You're my sister, not my minder. Exactly. You're my sister and we've never had any secrets. Ever. Ugh! I don't like this. This... Hiding stuff makes me feel, makes me feel awfully, you're not dying, are you? <laughs> no, you're something else. Don't tell me, please. Oh, I don't like this, not knowing. Boxing. I'm going to a boxing match. Boxing? Boxing as in Muhammad Ali and blood and all that. Rocky? 
Yes. Boxing. Hi, <laughs> when? We do it the second Thursday of every month. You've been more than once. I suppose I've been going for about two years now. Two years? Two fucking years. You've kept this from me. Mind your language. Mind your own language. <laughs> I'm afraid, Liz, I've got some follow-up questions here. Right. Oh. On a Thursday night, Brian's out at his football and Vinny and Eva have flown the nest and... Oh, I suppose I always knew that you'd find out. I've always been a terrible liar. But Diane... Boxing? I saw a poster and I thought, why not? A poster with these two men on it. All shiny and... Oh, don't look at me like that. Do you go and lech on younger men? <laughs> no, there is no leching. Just looking. And I found when I looked, I began to understand. I began to understand what made a good boxer, a good match, and how they moved. It was thrilling, dangerous or something. I just, I feel like I don't know anything about you. There's just one thing. But boxing? <laughs> Do you know how many of those poor boys end up with too many bashes to the head? Should be illegal if you ask me. I never knew you had such strong opinions no, on it. Neither does I. I mean, weren't you scared of going to a place like that? I suppose, but I suppose I felt like I hadn't done anything unlikely in a long time. And I wanted to do something unlikely. And yeah. Yeah, I was nervous. Sitting down with my wee white wine. Do they sell white wine there? <laughs> oh, aye. A Chardonnay. That is nice. Hmm? But weren't you worried that folk would see? Oh, I, I, I don't know anyone there. I'll get into the town for it. That's two buses. <laughs> you must... But you must really like it. <laughs> Why didn't you say? Because, because I like that it's mine. I like that it's private. More like a secret. Call it what you want. You've got plenty of secrets. No, I don't. Oh, aye. I've seen you dance in the garden. Well, I haven't. When you think no one's watching, you dance. And I assume you do that because of how it makes you feel. I bet that it feels freeing, right? Am I right? It's embarrassing being watched. Oh, who cares? Why is it that it's embarrassing to enjoy something? Most folk have got nice secrets. Not sordid, not dangerous or difficult. Just wee flickers of something that's just theirs. When I watch those matches, it's their skin. The sweat of it. The power of them. Oh, yeah, I suppose I understand. <laughs> I mean, how does dancing make you feel? I don't really... I can't talk about it in the way that you talk about it. 
then show me. Oh, get the fuck. Come on, I'll put the needle oh, I'm not dancing in your kitchen. Then I'll turn my back. No, you've lost it. Bananas you are. Diane, I am never going to talk to you again unless you start dancing. Then have a nice life. I'm getting my bag. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't. I'm no dancing. You're the one that said it was private. A positive secret. Okay. Good point. A positive secret. Well, I'm going to let the dog out for a few minutes. All I'm going to say is the, the radio's over there. <laughs> and there's plenty of room to dance in here. You know I'm never going to a boxing match with you. Good. <laughs> I don't want you to. I'll be five minutes. You're a dafty. Enjoy. Silly bism. Oh, fuck it. Let's give it a shot. Changing that word pleasure to joy, more about finding my joy as opposed to pleasure. Maybe that's how I'm thinking about this because one of the things, I find it really difficult to read books now because I do so much reading as part of my job um, that actually reading a book for pleasure doesn't bring me joy. So I love podcasts. They bring me joy. It's funny, this pleasure and joy thing, like because pleasure... I would connect with sexual pleasure mm -hmm. and joy. I wouldn't think like joyful sex, <laughs> even though that's a great sex. <laughs> it's not something the word joy doesn't connect in the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe that place where that feeling of sin comes from with the word pleasure is it is about something like overindulgent, like or enjoying something in like a dirty way or like in a, not a dirty way. I don't know if it's dirty. I yeah, think it's, it's dirty. just more bodily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Yeah, like maybe more carnal in that sense, if you forgive the pun. But it's like there's something more to do with the word pleasure that is more bodily and it's about giving into those bodily urges or giving into giving your body something it needs and wants. Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe that's where the idea of indulgence and the kind of sin comes from because we're taught, especially women from such a young age, to deny our body what it needs and what it wants and what we want. Yeah. I think it's really it is sad, isn't it? Because I think it does permeate throughout your childhood and your young adulthood and you know, then it kind of manifests in the way that you feel about your body and the way that you respond to bodily needs and the way that you dress and the way that you eat and the way that you dance, all of these. And you compare, you know, our culture to other cultures and it does feel so much more meshed up <laughs> in many ways. And I was thinking back to, you know, how much of that is to do with the kind of Scottish psychology, you know, of just, of John Knox and um, his mon monstrous regiment of women and the kind of misogyny that has been throughout Scottish history for several hundred years that, you know, kind of replaced paganism, which was much more feminine and about fertility and cycles and mm -hmm. celebration. And I think when I say the words as well, I think there's something in pleasure which is longer and it sort of, it lingers. And I do think it is more to do with the body, like what the body wants. And, and what the body desires and what it needs. I love that play and the unlikeliness of discovering a bodily pleasure that maybe you didn't expect and 
feeling that what the discussion group are discussing there around shame and bodily pleasures and and there is so much embarrassment, maybe particularly, as you said earlier, in our culture around indulging in your pleasure. And I love in that play, these two sisters in a very Scottish way, actually, do give each other permission to enjoy the pleasure and are kind of kind of excited for the other person. I love that you have this thing that you really enjoy, even though it's a, it's a bit unusual or a bit weird. Yeah, I, I really adore that play from Steph Smith. That's just great. Yeah, and I think there's something really important in both the play and in the discussion group about how we as women are kind of trained out of privileging our own pre- pleasure and about being proud of that or giving that space and time. It really leads on to our next artist, who, which is the incredible Liz Lockhead, one of our most important poets, the second modern macker of Scotland, Queen's Medal for Poetry, inspired so many generations you know we discover her in our school days she stays with us through our adulthood um, and we're absolutely privileged to have her as part of our podcast and she has bought in her set just such kind of wonderful playfulness um, a real kind of honesty about the importance of language how pleasure leaves you and returns she um, she gives us a really old beautiful poem of hers about about being young and about her about just enjoying your body, enjoying your physicality. And then it just gives us this incredible revenge poem, a real response to, I suppose, male privileging. Like we talk about how in our society we don't privilege female pleasure. But, you know, if we look at someone like Robert Burns, our national poet, we definitely privilege his pleasure and we definitely celebrate his pleasure and his so-called prowess as a great lover. And... uh, Liz Lockhead has a different take on that and it's it's absolutely glorious and and the you know she she ends with this incredible poem about the servant who is the go-between uh, Clorinda who is the subject of Aphon Kiss and Robert Burns so Clorinda was this you know and she'll let you she'll tell you all about it but we have this incredible wonderful uh, I'm just find it really exciting um revenge poem from Liz Lockhead which is uh, is really special and really special because it's it's new. So yeah, settle back, enjoy, take pleasure in this incredible poet at her absolute um, height of her powers. Um, yeah, Liz Lockhead. On Midsummer's Day, uh, I think it was 40 years ago, I went for a nice skinny dip with these two, two or three, I can't remember how many, lovely guys that I'd been working with all week. And the weather was so good, we just had to get in the water. And uh, I would never do a skinny dip in these days, but in those days, you know, fuck it, just quick. (laughs) Anyway, out of it, I got this poem. It's a poem of great longing. And I'm glad to say that later on, this longing was returned. But um, at this time, this is, it's not a person speaking. It's a piece of the landscape, alive and talking out loud. And this is what the pool said on Midsummer's Day. I've led you by my garrulous banks, babbling on and on till drunk on air and sure it's only water talking, you come at last to my silence. Listen, I'm dark and still and deep enough. Even this hottest gonging sun can't white me out. What 
are you waiting for? I lie here, inviting, winking you in. The woman was easy. Like to like I caught her, she came. In no time I had her out of herself. Slipping on my water stockings, leaning into being cupped and clasped in my green glass bra. But it's you I want, and you know it, man. I watch you stripped, knee-deep in my shallows, telling yourself that what makes you gasp and balls your gut is not my coldness, but your own fear. Your reasonable fear. What's true in me admits it, though deeper or older than any reason. Yes, I could drown you. You could foul my depths. It's not unheard of. What's fish in me could make flesh of you, my wet weeds against your thigh. It could turn nasty. I could have you gulping fistfuls, fighting yourself back from me. I get darker and darker. Suck harder. On the brink, man, you wish I'd flash and dazzle again. You'd make a fetish of zazzing dragonflies. You want I should zip myself up with the kingfisher's flight path, be beautiful? I say, no tricks. I say, just trust, I'll soak through your skin and slake your thirst. I watch, you clench, clench and come into me. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, uh, one of my favourite um, songs ever, uh, it's sometimes hard to hear it without crying, is Burns' A Fond Kiss. And you'll see the relevance of it when, I've, when I get later on and what the things I'm going to read. Anyway, you'll know the words of it maybe, but um, A Fond Kiss and then we sever. A farewell and then forever. Deep in heart-wrung tears I'll pledge thee. Warring sighs and groans, I'll wage thee. Who shall say that fortune grieves him? While the star of hope she leaves him, me, nay cheerful twinkle lights me, dark despair around me nights me. I'll ne'er blame my partial fancy, nothing could resist my Nancy, but to see her was to love her. Love but her, and love forever. Had we never loved so kindly, had we never loved so blindly, never met or never parted, we had ne'er been broken-hearted. Fare thee well, thou first and fairest. Fare thee well, thou best and dearest. Thine be ilka joy and treasure. Peace Enjoyment, love, and pleasure. Pleasure, that's the subject for tonight. So um, there's a couple of quotes from Burns, a bit more about pleasure, um, from the wonderful Tam O'Shanter. Um, uh, you know, when um, he describes, um, you know, how um, uh, the, the fun they're having, Tam, in the pub, 
before, before the, the strange night he has. You know, whenever he's there with Suter Johnny, his ancient trusty Ruthie Crony, Tam looed him like a very brother. They'd been foo for weeks together. The night drove on with sangs and clatter, and I the ale was getting better. <laughs> the landlady and Tam grew gracious with secrets, favours sweet and precious. The suitor told his queerest stories, the landlord's laugh was ready chorus. The storm without might rear and rustle. Tam didn't mind the storm a whistle. But later on, as bees fly he flee him, we lades o' treasure. The minutes wing their way with pleasure. Kings may be blessed, but Tam was glorious. O'er all the hills, the hills o' life, victorious. But pleasures are like poppies spread. You seize the flower as bloom is shed. Or, like the snow falls in the river, a moment white then melts forever. Or, like the borealis race that flit, ere you can point their place. Or, like the rainbow's lovely form, a vanishing amid the storm. The, but pleasures are not like poppies spread. I thought about it afterwards quite a lot. Well, they are, but you don't have to seize the flower as bloom is shed. We have to seize our pleasures, but we don't have to sleaze them, buy it and grab them like that. We can think about them and we can, we can dream them up and we can uh, experience them. We could smell the poppies. We could smell the, the landscape. We, could, um, we can smell the coffee. We can enjoy, I think, most pleasures. You know, now that I'm um, 75 and basically post-sexual these days, um, I realise that pleasures, small pleasures, are the most important pleasures. And um, the bad bit of your life is when pleasure disappears, as it did for me for a big part of this year when I couldn't write at all. But it came back because I got going again with something that I'm still working on. And that's the pleasure that you get whenever, you know, when pleasure goes away, there's nothing really you can do about it. Sometimes you've just got to wait for it to return. But when it does return, you've got to grab it. Not grab it and crush it, but try and be glad of it and try and experience the many small pleasures, and for a writer, it's when you can write again. Well, I managed to write a poem earlier this year that I quite liked writing, um, and I got my revenge back on some things that I wanted to get my revenge back. <laughs> revenge is a great reason for writing. You find that, huh? Anyway, Robert Burns was, this was for um, a late Burns supper in February, Robert Burns was without question a great writer of love songs. None greater in my book than A Fond Kiss, that heartbreaker that I read the words of. The one that he famously wrote part on parting from his Clorinda, Agnes McElhose, Nancy McElhose, the upper-class Edinburgh lady that he fell in love with. And God help her, she with him. Truly, madly, deeply? Well... Mutually and passionately, there's no doubt about that. And all the more so for the fact that, well, she might be separated from her brute of a husband, an Edinburgh lawyer, now in Jamaica, but she was married after all and religious to boot. His Nancy absolutely, resolutely refused to consummate the affair. 
This was certainly not for the want of him trying. However, she was his confidant and his consolation. They were utterly compatible, so they convinced each other, spiritually and intellectually, if not socially. See, this Mistress Macklehose had literary pretensions of her own. She was a poetess, very much a poetess, not a poet in my book, but there you go. Oh, they excited each other mightily and sublimated it in a feverish toing and froing, sharing poems and letters back and forward, as well as confidences. He excited her pity too. Love hearts with his tales of the troubles and tribulations from his point of view, naturally, of his affair with the jean armour he'd left back in Ayrshire, which was over, he insisted. Let me quote him. This was from a letter to Clorinda. When I tried to compare her with my Clorinda, it was setting the expiring glimmer of a farthing taper beside the cloudless glory of the meridian sun. Here was tasteless, insipid vulgarity of soul and mercenary fawning. There, polished good sense, heaven-born genius, and the most generous, the most tender passion. Dick, all dick. <laughs> See, poets, lethal. This latter blather was in a letter he sent to his perfect platonic lover in Capital City on his return to Ayrshire. Oh, he hadn't broken off with her. Oh, dear, no. In fact, they had promised each other, had Clorinda and Sylvander, that while apart, they would, every Sunday at the sacred hour of eight, focus their thoughts on each other and keep up with the epistles. He wrote another letter, though, through to Edinburgh, probably posted on the same day, to his younger hero-worshipping Jack the Lad pal Ainsley. Posh, another bit of posh, but male this time. Describing the exact same reunion with Jean Armour, who, by the way, was eight months pregnant to, turn, to, to Burns, and for the second time with twins. You couldn't make it up, really. This was him. This is the quote from the second letter, a famous one. Jean I found banished, this is to Ainsley, not to Clorinda. Jean I found banished, forlorn, destitute and friendless. I have reconciled her to her fate and I have reconciled her to her mother. I have taken her a room, I have taken her to my arms, I have given her a mahogany bed, I have given her a guinea and I have fucked her till she rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But... As I always am on every occasion, I have been prudent and cautious to an astonishing degree. I swore her privately and solemnly never to attempt any claim on me as a husband, even although anybody should persuade her she had such a claim, which she had not, neither during my life nor after my death. She did all this like a good girl, and I took the opportunity of some dry horse litter and gave her such a thundering scalade that electrified the very marrow of her bones. Oh, what a peacemaker is a good wheelie pintle. It is the mediator, the guarantee, the umpire, the bond of union, the Aaron's rod, the Jacob's staff, the sword of mercy, the philosopher's stone, the horn of plenty. Och, enough, Dick, already. I could go on. He did, with at least another half dozen mere penis metaphors. 
many of which I omitted because I just couldn't get my tongue around them. Geez, he never knew when to stop our Robert. More of which later. Anyway, the tree of life between man and woman. That was the culmination and the climax of that astonishing ode to cock. <laughs> was Robert Burns in love with Agnes McElhose, says Clarinda? Absolutely. Is Aphon Kiss the perfect love song? I think so. Genuine and sincere? I don't doubt that for one moment. Life is complicated. So is art. Enough already, except there was another human being involved in the erotic comedy tragedy. Correction, two of them. Call them collateral damage. One of them, Nancy McElhose's maid, a sonsy lass of 20, who was more than once tasked with being the go-between to carry letters back and forth between the old toon lovers. She came alive and started to anachronistically, energetically dictate the following to me. And so, from beyond the grave and with the benefit of hindsight, here's Jenny Clough to Robert Burns. Great lover. Rab, you wrote your own reviews. <laughs> Did you believe in a woman's right to choose? For all we can, twas never in Jean Armour's gift to refuse than electrifying scalad. She might have got up, rolled her in, and half amused, muttered, no bad. Floored, there's many a lass discovers the brute hard at it buck rootin' above us. Quite sure he's the last of the Red Holt lovers, God's gift. Though the delusion he's the greatest o' earth movers be frankly daft. And what kens what Jean Armour was feeling? Maybe all yon ecstatic yelping and squealing and rising crescendo had rather been revealing no pleasure but pain. Desert it, eight months gone, long past concealing, and twins again. Rab, you dearly loved a bit of posh and chose your Clarinda, the married Mistress McElhose, free among Edinburgh's those and such as those, though you persisted. Poems, promises, Billy Do, tried everything God knows, still she resisted. Silly camp force names, as letter carrier, I do admire the attempt at secrecy. Why the hell, though, did she require me to await the response she was on fire to receive from her Sylvander? Melanie's horns, his pent-up desperation and desire, did wonder. Ach, many a swain faced thus with nothing doing, indulges elsewhere in expedient rough wooing, while some random other recipient of what's ensuing accepts her fate. And for the moment, he doesn't care if voice screwing's a mere surrogate. He was mad with lust for my chaste mistress. Nothing worse. Really wanted her. She wouldn't. I did. My curse. I thought he fancied me. Quite the reverse, I fear. Just made for his 
Good Willie Pintle, a handy silk purse o' oh, my Sue's ear. 21st, 21st century folk thought it was their invention, birth control, and granted Rabbi an exemption. But afore Dutch caps, rubber johnnies, no mention game-changing pills, there existed an obvious method of prevention, as old's the hills. Nay, why o' avoiding pregnancy? Oh, please, tell that to the birds and bees. Many a lover and his lass took post-orgasmic ease among the harmless spatters or a skillful coxman blessed with expertise in country matters. I had to keep mum about sainted rabbi, who fucked like a poet in standard habby, quick staccato and jab, jab, jabby, then oof, past care and let fly and left me. Is yon no just fab, eh? Hodden the bairn. He made promises that melted like snow. Clorinda got the song. I got hee-haw. Except the bairn, a featherless gin and all. Rab, you could have easily, if you cared about a lass at all, have got off at Paisley. <laughs> Thanks very much. I think when I was younger, I was quite hedonistic. I had very young children, so you would seek pleasure as and when you could find it because you didn't know when it was going to happen again. <laughs> and I think now that my children are all getting older and I, I can create space for myself, and I don't feel so bad if I want to just stay at home watching Columbo for an hour. Like, there's a time in my life where I thought that was a waste of time. But actually, I get pleasure out of that, so I don't feel bad about doing that now. It feels like there's a pressure to do things that are actually they're doing something. Yes. You know, they're like they're they're contributing to something else. Like when I'm reading a book, it feels like I have to read a book that's contributing to my knowledge of something or contributing to like my knowledge of my own culture or different things like that, rather than just enjoying like really shitty rom-commy books that I used to love <laughs> when I was younger. But you don't know either. If you open yourself up to things, you don't know which things are going to influence you and how they're going to impact on you. I think similar to you, Zandra, I've over the years have uh, given myself more permission to to seek pleasure, if I'm going to use that word. still feels uncomfortable. Um, but I think for me, it's probably about um, recognising that partly just because of what I chose to study and the job I chose to do that felt very left brain for a long, long time. It just felt, you know, very kind of scientific and logical and and I really missed the right brain, artistic, creative side of myself, which I actually realise I need to, to, to be happy. So I do seek that. I seek something every day, but just something small, creative, each day I find is really fulfilling and sustaining. The pleasure of revenge, of course. It is sweet, as they say. Um, and what an absolute delight it is to have that from Liz. Yeah, absolutely. And then followed by that discussion group, which, you know, that idea about giving ourselves permission, finding something small each day to take pleasure in feels like feels like a real gift and real something that we could offer you all. Find something small to find pleasure in. And you asked me at the opening of this episode, Caitlin, what it was that I find pleasure or how do I prioritise pleasure? And I think it struck me 
is actually I think music and poetry is one of those ways and I think listening to music for me is gives me a lot of pleasure and allows me that little space of time for myself and um, and so actually this feels like a perfect moment to welcome back Horse to close out the show with some of some more of her beautiful music. The message in this song is about be yourself, never not be yourself and um, just kiss me. <laughs> it's called So Kiss Me.
It's been a great pleasure to be here, actually, and I found it very moving. Just going to give myself my note. Sunshine on your upturned face Everything falls into place Blue sky above, sand underfoot The happiest I have seen you look Sunrise stood on a low landscape More beauty than your breath can take Boats out to sea, girls in the air I might look as if I didn't care Careful with me, careful with my heart World keeps turning, my world falls apart When you're out of reach from it When you're out of reach from it Fool or wise, no in-between I've been both and I can't win If this love should suffer sudden death It won't be because I'm not myself I don't forget I depend upon The simple fact you turn my heart Over, 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 over over, 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 over Careful with me, careful with my heart World keeps turning, my world falls apart When you're out of reach from it When you're out of reach from it Careful with me, careful with my heart World keeps turning, my world falls apart When you're out of reach from it When you're out of reach Careful with me, careful with me Sunshine on your upturned face Everything falls into place Blue sky above And everything falls into place I love, I love, I love your upturned face Sunshine on your upturned face Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our episode on pleasure. Um, and if you did, please tell your pals. Like, subscribe, and maybe even write us a review. It really helps others to find our show. The next episode of Cast will be our last full episode in this series. I can't believe we've come to the end already. Um, it'll be out next week, and the theme is education. And our guests include musician Emma Pollock, crime writer Val McDermott, poetry slam champion Andrew Strachan and a short play from Nellie Kelly. Hope you can join us then. This episode of Quine's Cast is created and presented by Hannah Lavery and Caitlin Skinner, featuring original work by our contributors Horse McDonald, Ruth Elliott, Liz Lockhead and Steph Smith. Performers in The Journey Woman by Steph Smith were Mary Kapinski and Julie wilson Nemo. Our editor is Helena Rafai, project producer Barbie Lyon, sound engineer David Kay. 
The Stellar Quines team are General Manager Barbie Lyon, Associate Director of Engagement Beth Godfrey, Artistic Director and CEO Caitlin Skinner, Company Administrator and Young Quines Producer Erin McGee. The Quines cast image is by Julia Francis Dugan. Quinescast is possible because of the funding from Creative Scotland and support from our partners, the Travis Theatre, and from our supporters, the Quines Collective. Stellar Quines is an intersectional feminist theatre company based in Edinburgh. This year we are celebrating 30 years of keeping the fight for gender equality centre stage. It is a tough time for the arts at the moment and we really need your help. So we have set up a new supporter scheme called the Quines Collective and we're looking for new members. If you are a supporter of the arts, of feminism and if you believe that the arts has a role to play in the fight for gender justice in Scotland and beyond then we would love for you to be a part of the Quines Collective. You can choose how much you want to donate or if you can't contribute financially you can also um, be a non-financial member and offer us your time or just your good wishes. It all really helps us. You get special updates, a badge and you get to be part of a very cool gang of folk. The money that the Collective raises helps us to keep delivering for the audiences artists and communities that we serve and we are so very very grateful for their support you can find out more on our website at stellarquines.co.uk 